Some people picture the God of the Old Testament as a little tribal God. That's nonsense. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness of it. The world and those who dwell in it, that was David, 1000 B.C. God does what he wants with any part of the earth. And he doesn't ask the permission of the United Nations. Second, the second item on the banner is God's word. What God is saying to the nations is, the Bible is my word. It is true, it's relevant, it's up to date. You better get acquainted with it. While the war was on in Lebanon, Ruth and I, of course, were deeply involved in emotionally. As a matter of fact, I also went to Lebanon briefly. But um, Ruth would listen to the news in, in Israel. They have English news at 7 a.m., 2 p.m., and 8 p.m., three times a day. And then we'd get one or two newspapers. She was sitting there reading the newspapers avidly. And I said to her something I didn't realize, but it was very true. I said, the problem is you're looking in the newspaper for something that isn't there. <laughs> because you want to know what's going to happen next. So that's not the place to look. But the Bible tells you. The third thing is the word covenant, which is a key word for the Bible. Most Christians don't realize that the word we translate testament, whether in Hebrew or in Greek, is the same word that's translated covenant. In Hebrew, it's berit or berit. In Hebrew, it's berit. And in Greek, it's diatheki. Our Bible, we Christians, our Bible comes to us in two sections. The Old Testament, the New Testament. That's the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. In other words, the entire Bible comes to us in the form of a covenant. Covenant is absolutely central to the entire revelation of Scripture. If you don't understand covenant, you don't understand much about the Bible. What does God saying about covenant? This is something that excites me. I don't know whether it excites anybody else, but it excites me. I believe God is saying through this uplifted banner, I am a covenant-keeping God. He says in Psalm 89, I will not change my word nor alter my covenant. He's saying, 4,000 years ago, I made a covenant with my servant Abraham that I would give to him and to his descendants after him a certain area of the earth's surface. God is now saying, the time has come for me to implement my covenant. See, here is where we have a real head-on clash between the secular view of history and society and the biblical view. God has ordained the clash. The secular view is you get together a group of people, you call them a parliament, you call them a council, you call them a league of nations or whatever, and between them they'll hash out the problem and come up with a solution. God says, my solution has already been determined. This particular area of the earth's surface, I will give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's descendants, Israel. 
When I read the Bible, to me, it's one of the most amazing things is the importance that God attaches to this particular area which we have known as the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, Palestine, the Holy Land. One day, Ruth and I made a study of the things about which God not merely states, but gives his oath. It's a very interesting study. Do you know what we discovered? That 48 times in the Bible, God has given his oath that this land is for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. Isn't that amazing? There is nothing else in the Bible about which God has given his oath, even as much as ten times. To me, it indicates what I would call divine foresight, that this matter, which is so controversial today, was so clearly settled by God before the controversy ever arose. It's settled if you view God's word as final, which I do. I think it's time for me to close. Let me just say one other thing, since Lebanon has been so much in the news. And I happen to have visited Lebanon at the end of June. I spent three days with a group of journalists, television producers, and so on, from ten different nations. And we visited every area of Lebanon which has been in the news, every city on the coast, Beirut, Beaufort Castle. What was interesting was the re reaction of the television people. They came from Canada, the United States, Sweden, and some other countries I don't remember. And they said, as we traveled that land, this isn't what I was led to expect. This is entirely different from what we've been reporting. I just have to tell you that an amazing number of malicious distortions and lies have been deliberately circulated by the world's media in regard to the action of Israel in Lebanon. One wonders what was the motivation behind it. It's a very interesting question. It's one I don't think I'm going to attempt to answer here tonight. I read in an American newspaper uh, early in July this statement. The city of Sidon lies in ruins. I had been there about a week previously. Toured it, and together our group numbering about 40 persons had talked to many different residents of that city. Christian, Muslim, Druze, and so on. To the best that I can estimate about 20% of Sidon had been seriously damaged. That's the buildings. And of that 20%, according to the almost universal testimony of the local residents, at least half the damage had been caused by the PLO before Israel ever entered. So to say that the city of Sidon lies in ruins is a malicious an irresponsible lie. And it was one of hundreds that were circulated in the press and over the media. And I would have to say the BBC, in many cases, was one of the most irresponsible in its reporting of that situation. Why? That's a good question. Why? I think we need to search our consciences. Why? 
I have said, and I think it's an unchallengeable statement, that we Christians owe our entire spiritual inheritance to the Jewish people. Everything of spiritual significance in our inheritance, we owe to the Jewish people. Let me briefly ask a question. How have we repaid that debt? Do you know? Most of you Christians have no idea of centuries of anti-Semitism disseminated by the Christian church. I'm making statements which are historically verifiable. St. John Chrysostom, who's regarded as a saint in the fourth century, made some of the most vicious statements about the Jewish people that you could ever hear. He called them pigs, gluttons, murderers, immoral. He said, I hate you. He said, I hate the synagogue. He's regarded as a Christian saint. He's had tremendous influence on subsequent theology and Christian thinking. Martin Luther, one of the great founders of the Protestant Reformation, wrote such statements about Jewish people that when I was writing my book, I would not print them because they were so scurrilous. I found some less scurrilous statements and printed them. Just before his death, he circulated a statement to the German princes recommending that if the Jews were not converted to Christianity, they should be treated like rabid dogs and hounded from their domains. Now, I don't say that just to be negative. I have no pleasure in dwelling on the negative. But what I want to say is this, and I'm giving expression to a personal conclusion. In my opinion, the Nazis in Germany could never have done one-tenth of what they did to the Jewish people if the hearts of the European Christians had not been prepared for centuries. I would say this, the Nazis reaped a harvest which the church had sown. And the church, when the reaping took place, remained almost completely silent from the Pope downwards. You say, that wasn't my church. I could say that too. But how many churches are there? Are you one of those people who say, if it was good, it was my church, but if it was bad, it was the other church? I don't believe that. I believe there's just one church, good or bad. And I believe those of us who claim the benefits of the church have got to accept also the responsibility for the bad. The great author of our faith, Jesus, in his last prophetic utterance before his passion, said at the end of this age there will be a judgment seat when he will sit on the throne of his glory and judge the nations. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. And if you look at that, it's not really a parable, it's a prophecy. In Matthew chapter 25, at the close of the chapter, the basis of separation is the way they have treated the brothers of Jesus. Those that are blessed, inasmuch as ye did it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, ye did it unto me.
And those that are rejected with the most fearful words of rejection, depart from me, ye cursed, on the basis, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, my brothers. It's time for me to close. But I want to suggest to you that the issue of the Jews, God's people, is not just a theoretical or theological issue. It's an intensely vital contemporary issue on which neutrality is impossible. The fence is getting so hot that nobody will be able to sit on it much longer. I am not Jewish, as I said at the beginning, but my life has, through circumstances that were none of my choosing, caused me in various ways to be identified with Jewish people. When we were in Jerusalem with our Jewish girls in 1947-48, twice our lives were threatened by the Arabs because we had Jewish girls. We became refugees for a while. And I just want to tell you this. First of all, I want to say, for me, I love the Jewish people with a God-given love. But if you are going to be associated with them, sooner or later, you will begin to experience at least a little of what they've experienced for many, many centuries. It's not a light issue. Something of tremendous significance. Even 40 years ago, when I first began to believe the Bible, I could hardly understand the basis of the judgment of the nations. How could it all center around the Jewish people? Today, you've only got to pick up a newspaper to understand that's what's happening. To say the least, Israel is not popular in the United Nations. My comment on that is, so what? I read a statement once which has stuck with me. One plus God is a majority. I believe Israel is one plus God. As a Britisher, a Christian, and a non-Jew, I'm committed to the survival of the state of Israel. One reason is I've always wanted to be on the winning side.